So earlier this month, I'm on a boat in the middle of a lake with my five-year-old son. And he says, Dad, I have to go to the bathroom. Okay, number one or two. All right, number one. So not wanting to miss a chance to dispense some dad wisdom, I said, buddy, just go in the water. The fish pee in the water, so can you. (laughs) Thought that was like a dad proverb. So we were out there, uh, and we were with some friends, and their kids were pulling tubers, and we had stopped, and the kids were swimming off the side of the boat, and thought this was, a, this was a perfect opportunity. This was a nice day. We were not going back into the cabin just for this. So I tell them that, and then I turn around, and I'm working on something on the boat, and the next thing I know, I hear these shrieks and screams, and I swivel around, and there's my five-year-old standing on the edge of the boat, <laughs> swim trunks down. I just see his backside. He is facing out. There are my nine and ten-year-old girls and some, some of their friends on this tube about 20 feet away. And he's totally oblivious. He's doing his best fountain man impression. He's like, no, buddy. I meant get in the water. You've got your life jacket on. You can go swim. So not quite the... The memorable dad uh, lesson I had intended. He was naked. There was no shame whatsoever, just oblivious to this all. So what does that all have to do with what we're going to look at today? Well, just a second, hold on. We've been in a summer series on prayer called Prayer, Take a Breath. And the first three messages have been through Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. We've looked at Genesis 2-7, how God breathed. Um, the breath of life into humans, and how prayer is a form of giving that breath back to God, how we can enjoy entering into the presence of God through the Son, through His Spirit. We've looked at Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created, and how appreciating God's infinite power and His timelessness can affect our prayer life by giving perspective. And uh, the last message we looked at, Genesis 1-27 and 28, that we were made in the image of God and how appreciating that can impact our prayer life um, and help understand who we are and what we're here to do. And so we've been through Genesis 1 and 2, not always the traditional passages on prayer, but that's where we've started because there's so much great foundational truth. And at the end of Genesis 2, if you have a Bible you can open up, here's where we are. Genesis 2.25. So humanity, through Adam and Eve, has perfect communion, enjoying the presence of God. Everything was good. Everything was perfect. And we have this description at the end of chapter 2. Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So if you haven't been with us through either of those first three messages, we are now to the end of Genesis 2, and you are up to date. So today, we continue on. This is our last message in 
Genesis. In following weeks, we'll transition into Psalms and some of the more traditional passages you might think of during prayer. But today we're still in Genesis. And we come to a sobering reality in Genesis 3. And that's the entrance of sin. And this isn't an easy topic to talk about. In fact, many times churches and people can shy away from talking about it, number one. Or alternatively, they talk about it in a manner with no tact and, um, quite frankly, sometimes obnoxious attitudes. Treating the person they're talking to as an adversary, not a fellow image bearer. So it's not an easy topic to talk about. But it's here, and it's real, and it's necessary to talk about. And so we've spent the first three weeks talking about how God had perfect communion with God, and now we're faced with the reality of sin. And I believe there's a a third way to talk about this, okay? Where we can talk about it clearly, talk about it biblically, but also put it in context. The truth and love in the context of created as image bearers, the reality of sin, but the grace of God. Okay? So sin is real, but grace is greater. And that's what we're going to look at today. So please pray with me as we, uh, before we get into our passage. Father God, uh, we thank you and praise you for the privilege to come before you, to open up your word, You've given us this awesome privilege to worship together. Uh, Father, I pray that the words um, we hear are your words. And um, Father, I pray for hearts to hear and ears to, um, hearts to obey and ears to hear what you have to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, if you would please open it up to Genesis 3. And this morning we'll look at uh, three main points. Number one, what are the consequences of sin? Okay. Namely, separation. Separation from God. Separation from our true self, who God designed us to be. Separation from others and separation from creation as God designed it. So that's the first thing. Number two, we'll look at um, how God answers that in his grace. And lastly, we'll look at some applications for prayer. So we begin Genesis 3, chapter 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. You won't certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from, from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it, ate it, and she also gave some of it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
So a couple of quick things that we learn in this first part of the passage. When sin enters the picture, number one, we are separated from God. Again, that perfect relationship that humanity had enjoyed with God up till this point in Genesis 1 and 2, separated by sin. Number two, Remember, at the, at the end of Genesis 2, no shame. What do we see here in Genesis uh, chapter 3? Shame. They covered themselves with fig leaves. We have that relationship with God broken. We have that innocence lost from a personal perspective with shame entering the picture. And we see humanity's first attempt to cover their own sin. They sewed fig fig leaves together to try to cover their shame. Verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Separation from God and separation from our true selves, who God designed us to be because of shame. Continuing on. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put me here, she gave me some fruit. From the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? There's a Presbyterian minister, Fred uh, Biegner, says, These two questions by God, Where are you, and what have you done, are the core of questions that psychologists have been asking people ever since. They get to the root of... uh, Humanity's question about itself. And here we find it in the very beginning of the Bible. Who are, where are you, as if God didn't know? And what have you done? Continuing on, the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you among all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl in your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to the children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So we see, number one, separation from God because of sin. Number two, separation from our true self, who God designed us to be because of sin when shame enters. Number three, separation from others because of sin. Verse 16, your desire will be for his husband, and he will rule over you. 
So God created humanity originally to rule over creation. Sin enters, and we start wanting to rule over each other. Okay? So we have this separation from God, separation from ourselves as we were designed to be, separation from others. Continuing on, verse 17. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded, you must not which I commanded, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce the thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the food by the sweat of your brow. You will eat the f- and you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you, you will return. Okay, again, separation from God because of sin. Separation from our true self because of sin with shame. Separation from others as we try to rule over them and they try to rule over us because of sin. And finally, separation from enjoying creation as God had intended it. First two chapters of Genesis. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was designed how God had designed it. Things didn't break down. There was no death. There was no disease. There was no decay. There was no destruction. And here we come in Genesis 3, and he says, Only by the sweat of your brow, through thorns and thistles, will you be able to feed yourself. So creation is not as it was intended to be because of sin. So we see separation in all these areas and the consequences of sin in all these areas. Continued on, verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So again, at the end of the chapter, we come back around that reminder that humanity was separated from God. So we see these consequences of sin, these different ways that uh, separation occurs and death occurs through sin. So what's the answer? What does the Bible say in addressing this? Well, the good news is that grace, God's grace, is greater. His grace, through the provision of his Son, is greater. And here in Genesis 3, we get the first sneak peek of what that is. So if you go back to Genesis 3.15, this is God speaking to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Okay? Her offspring. 
one day coming down through the line of David, Jesus Christ, born in the flesh, between her offspring and yours, he will crush your head, you will strike his his heel. This is what's known as the proto-evangelium in theological discussions. This is the first sneak peek of the good news. Okay? So in Genesis 3, what do we have in terms of answering sin? Well, at the end of the chapter, we find God, in his grace, makes the first sacrifice. He sheds the blood of an animal, and he makes skin to cover the sin and cover the shame of humanity. So we find blood shed to cover sin by God's grace and a promised one to come who will crush sin. All in Genesis 3. This is the first sneak peek to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn ahead, if you have a Bible, to Romans. This is the Apostle Paul writing after the life of Christ and giving us a little bit clearer picture of who Jesus was and what his ministry had done. In Romans chapter 5, this is Paul, uh, 5 verse 1. We'll go through three passages here. I believe the first three will be up on the screen. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see this just at the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So sin, missing the mark, Missing the mark of God's holiness. Sin is real, but grace is greater. Grace is unmerited, unearned favor. And so only by God acting can we be reconciled with him. That's the message from Genesis 3 throughout the rest of the Bible. And here Paul highlights that. While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Continuing on in verse 8, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified, declared righteous by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, through Christ? For if while we were enemies to God, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? 
Not only this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have reconciliation. Sin is real. God's grace is greater. Provided through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. Continuing on at the end of uh, Romans 5, Romans 5.17. For if by the trespass, and this is where it connects it back to Genesis. If by the trespass of one man, speaking of Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and, and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So throughout the Bible um, and in the Gospels, Christ is, is described as this second Adam. He could do what Adam couldn't. Only he uniquely could live a sinless life because only he was the true God-man in one. And so from the start of Genesis, we learn that sin separates, separates us from God. We can't save ourselves. Only by God's grace, the shedding of blood, and the sin crusher can we be reconciled with our God and our Father. So sin is real, grace is greater, so how can that apply in our prayer life? I have three quick applications. Number one, let's talk about sin in a real way. To God, in your prayer life, it's called confession. Be real with God. He already knows. It's not for his sake, it's for our sake that we would confess in prayer. David, King David in, in the Psalms, talks about the, the danger of unconfessed prayer in Psalm 32, beginning in verse 3. He says, When I kept silent, speaking of sin, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. First application. In your prayers, confess what God already knows to him for your own sake. Number two, or second in that same point, find another person that you trust, that you can get together with, and be real with. And it may not be a whole small group. It may not be a big group. It may be a one-on-one -on -one interaction. But there is a power to being real and confessing and sharing and opening up your life with another individual that can help you, and you, in turn, can be a blessing to them. So that's the first point. Let's talk about sin in a real way to God and others. Number two, it's only by God's grace are we reconciled. 
Okay, we saw in Genesis 3, it wasn't humans covering, the, covering themselves with their own creation. It was God who shed blood and covered their sin and their shame. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, For it, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not of yourselves. This is not of your work. It is the gift of God, not by your works, so that anyone can boast. So the second application is, grace is unmerited. It's nothing you can do. You can't earn your way into a reconciled relationship with God. It is only through the shed blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that changing your heart, that gospel truth changing your heart will reconcile you with your creator God. So in your prayers, be thankful, thankful, thankful for God's grace. Ask him for forgiveness. Confess your sins. Thank him for his grace, the opportunity that he's given us to be reconciled with him through his son, through the power of his spirit. And the third application, and this is just a helpful reminder for prayer. If you are stuck in your prayers thinking, okay, how do I go about, how could I go about praying from day to day? One helpful application I've, I've uh, come across is just the acronym ACTS. Just like the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. It goes through some of our series on prayer already. A, adoration. Just adore God for who he is. The awesomeness of of who he is, his greatness, his holiness, um, as our creator God. A, adoration. C, confession. What we've been talking about today. The confession of our sins. T, thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for your grace, for your sending of your son, for you giving the way for us to be reconciled with with you through his shed blood, through his resurrection from the grave. A-C-T-S, supplication. Another way to say specific prayer requests. Okay, we've come to God. We've enjoyed his presence. We've um, just praised him in adoration. We've confessed our sins We're thankful for his grace, for his provision of his son. And now, Father, here are specific things that I have in my life that are weighing on my shoulders. So Acts, A-C-T-S, a quick um, reminder during our prayer life. So the consequences of sin are separation. Us from God, us from our true self, us from others, us from the created world as God had made it. The Bible's answer is sin is real, but grace is greater. God has provided a way for you, for I, to be reconciled with him through the blood of his son, through the empty tomb. Number three, quick reminder, as you pray, as I pray, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, specific prayer requests. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you, thank you, Thank you. 
for giving us, as your church, the privilege to worship together, to come before you, to read your word, to do so freely, to have faithful leaders um, like Jerry and Sue, who have, who have been a part of uh, leading this church. Thank you for their service, but thank you for providing and building your church. Thank you for giving us the privilege to be a part of what you're already doing in this world, both here in Eau Claire and around the world. Thank you for the shed blood of your son. Father, not by our own works, but only by you acting can we be reconciled through faith to you. In Jesus' name, amen.